Pastor Dave up. Let's, can we just give him a round of applause, but also pray for him? He's not feeling well this morning. It takes a lot to preach, and it's not fun to preach when you're not feeling well. So I'll pray for you, and we'll pray together. Could you guys just extend your hands to uh, Pastor Dave and bless him this morning? Father, thank you so much for uh, my brother who's carried this pulpit with me, uh, shouldered this church uh, with Jonathan and I. We just appreciate him so much, and we ask that you would um, extend your grace to him. We pray that your strength would be made purpose and his weakness, and maybe more than another week, we depend on you this morning, God, to bring your word into our hearts and your word through our brother. Thank you so much for him. Would you be close to him, and would you empower him by your spirit as he shares your word? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you. <clears throat> thank you, Pastor Wilson. Oh, you guys are sweet. Thank you. <clears throat> thank you for caring about me that much. Um, you know, I, I wanted to share uh, before we get into the word that I am just so excited about this uh, potential move for us. Um, I love El Dorado, and I really challenge all of you uh, just to take the time to go and take a look at it. Not only is it a beautiful building, but it can represent a stage of faith, you know, uh, uh, moving forward in uh, what we're doing. Uh, so excited. I've been a part of uh, building changes and uh, different movements before, and I'm happy to say that in all of the ones that we've seen, you know, we've seen God's hand move us, and we've seen, um, Joanne and I, we've seen some tremendous results come from it. Uh, God's blessings that result from just taking a step of faith. And so please, if you could, uh, take a look at El Dorado. Um, and ag again, it's just going to be a wonderful chance for you to envision what God is doing and just get excited for how God's moving us uh, forward uh, in this church. Um, if we could, uh, the other thing I wanted to kind of share with you is uh, we have been going through this particular book, Emotional Healthy Spirituality. Um, how many of you, you've, you've gone through it? You've either read or you've do, done the devotionals. Okay, good. Many, many of you have. Um, I'm sure that as you've gone through this, whether you do the, the two times uh, a day or, or whether you do it once or you do it occasionally, um, in it, it's designed to really kind of shake you out of your comfort zone. It's, in, uh, it's meant to um, make you come in contact with um, just what it means to grow in Christ. And so what I'd like to do, I'm sure that many of you, as you've been doing it, uh, God's been teaching you. Uh, you've been encouraged or uh, you've been rebuked maybe or you've been instructed. But whatever it is, uh, if we could just talk to the person behind, uh, beside us, two to three people, if you can share what God has been speaking to you uh, in uh, as you've gone through this. And for those of you uh, that are visiting, you haven't gone through this at all, if you could even share as you've been meeting with the Lord in your devotions or in your time, or maybe, you know, this is a first and, uh, you know, you don't have that relationship with the Lord, uh, maybe those things that, you know, are your wants or desires. But whatever it is, uh, if we could share a little bit, you know, and encourage one another and even kind of inform one another in our congregation about emotionally healthy spirituality. Let's do that right now. Can we do that? Thank you. All right. If I could, if I could get your attention, please. <clears throat> I'm so sorry for my throat. I will work on sounding. I don't sound very good at all. I, I don't. So it, I already know that. 
All right. Uh, we have been going through a book called uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and we are on chapter seven, uh, the idea of growing into emotionally healthy adults. And so what I want to do is I want us to look at the idea of emotional health uh, this morning. So take your Bibles, if you would, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you have a device, you can turn to that. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll be in looking into the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You know, the other day, <clears throat> I had the honor and privilege of officiating over a toll. Okay, you guys probably don't know what a toll is. If you're Korean, you do, right? It's a Korean first birthday, right? It's a one-year-old birthday uh, for Koreans. And if you didn't know, uh, Koreans love marking anniversaries, just in everything. Uh, when Joanne and I were dating, it was really funny. Uh, you know, I came from the Midwest, so I come from more of a Caucasian culture. Uh, but every month, she wanted to celebrate that we were dating, right? So we would go somewhere, and she would have to say, do you know what it is today? And I said, no, I didn't know. She goes, it's our first month, right? And second month, and third month. It was, it was pretty crazy, you know? Uh, but I, I, I enjoyed it. I, she's not here. She is here? Okay. I really enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was so wonderful, you know, to be a part of, you know, that. But Koreans love making uh, or marking anniversaries and everything. Uh, Koreans celebrate when their babies develop the first 100 days, okay? It's called a pegil. Okay, and uh, there's a big celebration with family, and uh, I still carry uh, this little Peggy ring. They actually uh, have a gold ring that they give the child, they put on the finger. I still actually carry that around to commemorate, you know, my daughter's Peggy. Uh, when the child reaches one year, <clears throat> it's not just a birthday party, right? It's a huge, ginormous celebration event. It's almost, it almost rivals a wedding in scope, if you can believe that, okay, uh, where you invite your entire extended family and all your friends, and the parents even invite their friends, and it's done in a huge uh, country club or hotel or fancy restaurant, and there's always amazing food, gourmet food, there's elaborate little mochi cakes and uh, different things, and gifts are, like a wedding, gifts are even given to the people that come, and uh, it's just an amazing kind of uh, uh, event to celebrate that first year. And two things that they always do, they always show a media presentation of the child growing up from baby to toddler. I don't know if you did that, Wilson. Okay, okay. It's because Chinese, is it more, or Korean? I'm sure there's like a mix. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, and, 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 and I should even say this. Usually, it's the first child that gets the big big one, right? And then the other children is too bad, right? But anyway, that's kind of how it is, right? Where you have a big, because it costs so much money to do. So they always have that, or they always play a game. And they always play this game where the baby chooses different items that kind of represents their potential future. So there's a book, or there's money, right? Or there's a stethoscope, or there's an art brush, or there's music, a uh, musical instrument or a microphone. There's all these things to represent, you know, a book represents being a scholar or money represents business, being good in business. Stethoscope, you know what that means, right? Art brush, you know what that means. Musical instrument, musician. You have all these things and I've actually seen where fathers will kind of push their baby towards the money, right? Or towards the stethoscope. But it kind of, kind of, uh, it's a fun way to say, you know, that there's a future, a bright future involved. I've been to several tours. I've even, 
you know, <clears throat> officiated and spoken at all these, and I've always enjoyed them. But the one that was just passed reminded me of when Alexis was a baby, and I was, to able, I was able to really celebrate her toll, her growth and development. And she is, of course, still growing, still developing. But, you know, I look back nostalgically on some of those things. I want to share with you, I carry in my phone, I'm not technically a technical guy at all, right? But I do carry in my phone all these recordings of when my daughter, you know, said awesome things. She would call me and she would do all these things. And I have, she's not here, so we can do this. Uh, but I hope you can hear this. Because I miss you, Daddy. So, can you come home soon, Daddy? I really miss you. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah. If you didn't catch it, she's saying, I don't want to do piano, Daddy, but I really miss you and I love you. I've got tons of those in my phone. You know, she doesn't do that anymore, right? Because she's a high school kid. And so every time she ignores me, I listen to those things, you know, and I remember just all the love that I used to get, right? But the greatest joy is to witness maturity and flourishing in your child, right? The greatest joy is to experience the progress, and you get to witness it day after day. You know, the beautiful thing, it's a beautiful thing to bring the ba a baby into the world, right? I think of Benedict and Jan Janet with Luke, their newborn. I think of Wilson and Nina with Levi. Uh, Robin and Sveta, I haven't seen Elijah, but they've, they've had Elijah. It's just wonderful to bring a baby into the world. But let me say this, as adorable as a baby is, not one parent wishes for their infant to stay an infant their entire life. They may want a longer life stage that they can enjoy. They may bemoan the past and the regrets of uh, just really enjoying that. But when it comes down to it, no parent desires a baby to stay a baby, right? Stunted growth or rested development is not on a parent's schedule. We expect our baby to mature and to progress in life. So spiritually speaking, I'm sure that's the same desire that the Apostle Paul had for the Corinthian church. He had birthed the church of Corinth. He started it with Priscilla and Aquila. He had taught and discipled them a couple years and when he left to continue that missionary work that God had called him to, he placed the Corinthian Christians in the capable hands of Apollos, a very godly, charismatic, gifted leader. And the natural result of all the teaching and training and discipling would be that the Church of Corinth would grow into this deep, committed discipleship group. But to Paul's amazement, the Corinthian believers were very shallow, and disobedient, and fleshly, and carnal. As a matter of fact, when you look at the book of Corinthians, it's really all about Paul addressing and correcting problems that the Corinthians were having, okay? Uh, if, if you would indulge me for a second, in chapter 1, verse 10, through chapter 4, and verse 21, here Paul addresses problems with division and dissension. In chapter 5, verses 6 through 20, he deals with problems concerning immorality among the Corinthians. In chapter 7 and verse 1 through 7 and 39, here he deals with problems in marital faithfulness. In chapter 8 through chapter 11, verse 1, he talks about problems regarding Christian liberty. In chapter 11, verse 2 through 11 and 34, he addresses problems about right worship. In chapters 12 through chapter 14, it's problems about spiritual gifts. In chapter 15, he deals with issues and problems of having right theology. 
In chapter 16, he deals with problems regarding the area of giving and what giving really is. Why? Why all these problems? Why were they not growing? Why were they not developing in Christ-likeness? Well, in very short, they were baby believers. They were baby believers. Let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If we can put it up here, beginning in verse 1. <coughs> Excuse me. He says, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. Verse 2, I gave you meat, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? Now, if you're taking notes, write this down. What is a baby believer? What we want to do is we want to define what it means to be a baby believer. And what I want to do first is define it by what it is not, okay? A baby believer is not an unsafe person. We may look at all these problems and issues, and we may think to ourselves, were these Corinthians even Christians by the way that they act, by the way that they behave? But I want you to notice that he addresses them as, verse 1, brothers, right? Brothers and sisters. Here we see that Paul refers to the fact that they're in God's family, that he gathers these wayward Corinthians by announcing that we need to have a family meeting. We need to talk about these issues and problems in our family. Now, I want you to notice if you, know, if, if you want to turn there in chapter 1 and verse 2, the Corinthians are referred to as those sanctified in Christ, those called to be holy. They were called saints. And we're not talking saints in kind of the religious uh, Roman Catholic view, but we're talking saints biblically. They were called out to be in God's family, right? And here in chapter 1 and verse 6, he says the testimony about Jesus Christ was confirmed in you. You've been confirmed. So the baby believer positionally is in Christ. He's a part of the family. I want you to notice that the Bible identifies two categories of people. Okay? And again, I'm going to be turning back and forth in the book of Corinthians. But in chapter 2, verse 14, you don't have to turn there. It says, and here's one of the class of people, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, for they are spiritually discerned. Number one, we see the category of the unspiritual man. This is the non-Christian. He doesn't welcome the things that come from the Holy Spirit. He won't accept spiritual things. He thinks they're foolishness because he can't understand the spiritual truth that, that, that is being addressed. And why is that? It's because he's outside of God's family, because he doesn't have God the Holy Spirit living inside of him, right? The truth teacher. Now, we have another category in chapter 2 and verse 15. It says, the spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. And it goes on and says, we have the mind of Christ. So we have not only the unspiritual man, but number two, we have the spiritual man. And he is a Christian. Positionally, he has God the Holy Spirit living inside of him. He's in God's family and he's growing steadily in faith. He makes wise and spiritual judgments. Why? Because he has the mind of Christ. Now here's the question. Which class is the Corinthian believer? Can I share with you? It's neither class, right? He's not the unspiritual man. We've just talked about this. He has the Holy Spirit indwelling him. He's a part of God's family. He's been sanctified by Christ. He's called a saint confirmed by Jesus. So he is not an unspiritual man, right? But he's not a spiritual man either. 
And that's my point. Here, the baby believer is not a normal Christian. Verse 1, let's look at what Paul says. Brothers, positionally in Christ, right? I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. What does that mean? Well, he defines it. Mere infants in Christ. Paul is saying, in your position, you're Christians, but in your practice, you're not living it out spiritually. On the contrary, practically speaking, you're living worldly. You're living apart from what you're supposed to be. So I can't speak to you as I should be able to speak to you. Do you see what Paul is saying? See, naturally, there are two categories. There's the spiritual and there's the unspiritual. But you've made a third category, an abnormal hybrid, because your practice doesn't match your position. I want you to notice the word worldly. It means dominated by the world. It means fleshly. It means carnal. Let me, let me explain theologically what this is. Even after salvation, <coughs> there's a small part of us. We call it a remnant that still has a proclivity to sin, that still is bent towards sin. It's a remnant, right? It's not all of us, but it's a small portion of us that has not been fully eradicated. Eradicated, excuse me. But it doesn't dominate our life anymore. We're not in bondage to sin anymore, being Christians. So what is this? The Corinthians were allowing this remnant, right, in their lives. They, they were feeding it. They were growing it. The Corinthians were allowing their lives to be characterized by sinful proclivity, proclivities and fleshly desires. They were feeding on these things. And so they weren't growing out of worldliness as, the natural, as naturally should happen. They were reverting back into worldliness. The Christians were reverting back to infancy. Let's look in verse 2. For I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready for it. Paul is using this word infant pejoratively. This is a negative statement that he's making. Is it because Paul didn't like babies? What's wrong with Paul? Is it wrong for an infant to act like an infant? Right? What do you have against babies? I don't have anything against babies. Right? They're cute. They're adorable. I want a baby to be a baby. As a matter of fact, I love babies. You know, Pastor Wilson talks about his kid all the time and smelling the head of the baby. Oh, there's something beautiful about it. It's like a new baby smell that's just so wonderful. I just love being around babies. I love when they wear diapers and they drool and they spill things and blah, 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 they talk gibberish, baby talk. I even love it when they cry. Babies are delightful wherever they are. But what if I decided to act like a baby? What if I came up to here in a diaper and nothing else? What if I drooled all over the place and blah, 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 and, 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 and gibberish baby talking and, and cried, right? I know you don't want to imagine that, but what if I did that, right? It would not be delightful, would it? It would be absolutely disturbing, right? Because it's wrong for a grown man to act like an infant. There's nothing cute and adorable about gross immaturity. And here's what Paul is talking about. There is within the baby believer a stunted, retarded, arrested development. You see, the problem was that the Corinthian Christians were discipled by Paul for years. They were trained by Apollos for years. They were led by the elders of their church for years. And after all these years, they're supposed to be growing to be more Christ-like. They're supposed to have more maturity. They're supposed to be deeper in their faith. But they were still living this fleshly, sinful, immature, base lifestyle. 
And because of that, they were defeated in their local church. You see, worldliness had affected and infected their spirituality. My purpose this morning is merely to help you identify immaturity, right? And God's word, if you would allow it to be a mirror, even to your own hearts and lives, to see, is there anything that God is trying to teach me? Is there anything that God is working out with me during this amazing time of devotions together as a church, looking together at what God is doing? Now, then very quickly, what does immaturity look like? What does it look like? Well, my second point here is <clears throat> what are the characteristics of a baby believer, right? Maybe some of us, we don't even know. Maybe we're, you know, we're, we're stunted or arrested in our growth, and we don't even know. Let me give you some characteristics. Number one, they act on selfish impulses, okay? What are characteristics of a baby believer? Well, firstly, they act on selfish impulses. Verse 3, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? <clears throat> and he's not talking here about humanity, right? Men and women, physiologically. He's not talking about that. He's talking about it spiritually. He's talking about, aren't you acting not as spiritual, but as selfish and fleshly, okay? I'm a nerd. You know, I, I, I admit it. I love everything sci-fi, and I love, you know, comic books, and I love all those kinds of things. And I love Star Wars. How many of you love Star Wars? You could raise your hand. Okay, good. You're nerds too, right? And The Mandalorian is probably the greatest thing, right? And season one was awesome. And I'm, I'm really excited because Star Wars is taking a turn that I think is, is the right turn to take, right? Where it's just going to soar because of The Mandalorian and all the wonderful things that are happening. But I love Star Wars. My favorite movie, I could wax elegant. If you ever just want to sit and talk about Star Wars, I would love to do My wife doesn't like to talk about that stuff, so I need an outlet. I need, you know, you know, Wilson has volleyball. I have, like, Star Wars or just anything weird or nerdy, right? But I would love to talk to you about it. But um, this is not the place, and so let me just kind of share with you. My favorite movie in the Star Wars series <coughs> is Revenge of the Sith. Okay, you, know, you might say, oh, that's kind of weird. Why, why would you like that? The reason I love Revenge of the Sith, is it showing? Okay, is it's because it answers so many of my childhood questions. Again, we don't have time to talk about all that stuff, but the biggest question that was answered is, how did Anakin Skywalker become Darth Vader? Because that's what this movie is all about, right? He's supposed to be the chosen one who brings enlightenment, who brings peace, right, to the Republic, uh, but instead, he becomes Lord Vader, who brings the opposite, tyranny and devastation. Like, how does that happen? How did Anakin Skywalker become Darth Vader? There's a scene in the movie where Anakin explains to Chancellor Palpatine, who is really Darth Sidious. He is the major Sith Lord, but Anakin doesn't know this yet. And he's talking to Chancellor Palpatine about the fundamental difference between a Sith and a Jedi. And this is what he says. I love this. The Sith rely on their passion for power. They think inwardly only about themselves. But the Jedi are selfless. They only care about others. Did you get that? The Jedi's perspective is outward. It's always looking for others, right? Only for others. The Sith's perspective is inward. There's a passion for power. It's inward because they're only in it for themselves. See, that explains it. And it's amazing that it's actually Anakin Skywalker, right? The future Darth Vader who understands this truth. 
How does a blessed, talented, capable Jedi Knight turn into a Sith monster? It's that selfish mindset that feeds on selfish impulses. I want us to look at the problems of the Corinthian church uh, that we see in 1 Corinthians, and it results from selfish impulses, right? Jealousy, right? Paul addresses it. What is that? It's nothing more than a selfish impulse to covet what's not rightfully yours to have. Quarreling, what's that? It's a selfish impulse to sow discord and dissension to get even, even if it destroys others. Sexual sin, what was that? It's a selfish impulse to satisfy the unrestrained lust that you have regardless of if it hurts others. Adultery, what is that? It's a sexual impulse to sexual unfaithfulness that happens regardless if it hurts your spouse. You see, the Corinthian Christians like babies, act on the base impulses that they have. They succumb to their selfishness. Babies are so selfish, aren't they? Ask any mother. They are the original Sith Lords, okay? Yeah? Darth, right? Darth Levi, right? Babies are all about them, their needs, their desires. They don't know how to wait. They want their milk ah, now, right? They don't know how to share. They don't know how to save. They don't know how to sacrifice. And here Paul tells them, hey, quit being babies. Stop being self-focused and self-absorbed and self-centered because you're not a baby, right? You know better than that. Practice being a Jedi. I like that, right? Become a mature servant. You live for Jesus. You live for the gospel. You live for others. I want you to see that this brings about real pain not only that, but they cannot digest spiritual truth. Can we put the next one up? They cannot digest spiritual truth. Verse 2, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. The Corinthians were still stuck with the elemental things, the basics. Although they've been Christians for years, because they're not appropriating the word of God into their lives. They weren't absorbing God's truth into their hearts. They weren't exercising it in their lifestyle, right? Babies can't digest complex foods. They have to stick with milk. It doesn't mean that they don't want to try solid foods like cake. Man, babies want cake, but they can't handle it because of the digestion, right? In the same way, an immature Christian may know Bible stories. They may recite Bible verses. They may understand biblical truth but it doesn't produce the power that they should be having in their lives. This doesn't mean they don't want spiritual things. They want to grow in their intimacy with God. They want to conquer faith challenges and be victorious spiritually. They want to produce the spiritual fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control consistently in their lives. But they can't digest it into reality. They won't put in the work or the obedience or the face steps to produce the maturity that they could have in their lives. You might say, well, I don't understand that exactly. What do you mean? Well, let's look at Hebrews chapter 5. This is a companion to this, okay? Hebrews chapter 5, and I have it up here so you can just look. In verse 11, this is the same thing that Paul's been saying, but in the book of Hebrews, it says it in a different way. It says, we have much to say to you about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. Again, the slow to learn is not capacity, it's craving, okay? I'll explain that in a little bit. Verse 12, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, 
You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word over again. You need milk, not solid food. Verse 13, anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with teaching about righteousness. Verse 14, and here's the point. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use, get that, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. What sets apart the mature person from the immature person? It's not capacity. Paul's not saying it's because you're dumb, right? It's because you can't understand spiritual things and you're not able, you're slow, right? Meaning capacity. It's not talking about that. He's talking about craving. You don't have that desire. You're slow to the desire and the craving of God's word. You see, it's a desire to digest God's word, to commit this truth. It's not enough just to hear the word of God. We want to read it. Not only do we want to read it, we want to meditate on it. Not only that, but we want to memorize it. Not only that, but we want to take God's word and obey it. And we want to, in obeying and applying it, that in hearing and reading and meditating and memorizing and obeying and applying it, you absorb all of God's truth until it becomes a part of that person. You see how maturity progresses? It's the more you use it, the more you exercise it, the more truth that you need. Give me more truth. I need to exercise that in my life. Give me more. And by constant use, you're training yourself. You're producing a mature believer. Does that make sense? That's what God wants for us. But the baby believer can't digest that. Okay. And then the third one that we want to look at is they live an immature lifestyle. They live an immature lifestyle. Okay, this is actually uh, very interesting. It's an example of the immature lifestyle. Let's look in verse 4. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? Verse 5. What after all is Paul, and what is Apollos? Only servants through whom you have come to believe, as the Lord assigned to each his task. Okay, so what's going on here? The Corinthian Christians were bickering. Okay? They're trifling with one another about who's the most, most important in the church. You know, what group is the most important? And they're using spiritual leaders to form cliques that they can rally behind. So some are saying, well, I follow Paul. Paul was the first pastor of the church of Corinth. He's the OG founder of our church. I mean, Paul's gifts, he's a theologian. He's a philosopher. He's a driven missionary. And so he's awesome. I follow Paul and my friends do too, right? And another group says, well, I follow Apollos. Apollos is pastor 2.0 of the Corinthian church. You know, Paul, is, Paul was okay, but here, Apollos is a more complete pastor. I mean, he's charismatic. He's a, a motivator. He's an amazing communicator extraordinaire. Me and my friends, we follow Apollos. And then there's another group that says, well, I don't follow any of those. I'm going to one-up you guys all, right? The, I follow Cephas, right? Who's Cephas? Cephas was the Aramaic name for Peter. Right? Peter was the first among Jesus' disciples, better than everybody else. He's the leader of all the apostles. All the apostles you know, kind of look to him for leadership. I mean, I follow Cephas, right? And some of them were even saying, oh, I can one-up all of you. I follow Christ, right? Right, sounds so mature, but it's so immature, so wrong. I follow me and my guys. We follow, yeah, you guys, you guys aren't that cool. We, I follow Christ. What, the, what were they saying? They were saying, we have, right, complete and exclusive ownership on Christ. You see how immature they were? You know, it almost reminds me of uh, when I was a kid, 
uh, I remember uh, kids would say this, boys especially, I don't think girls say this, but they would come up, a kid would come up and say, my dad can beat up your dad, right? And you're like, what? My dad can beat up your dad. What, what, were, what were they saying? I'm better than you because I have a better dad. And so I would go and say, no, my dad could beat your dad, right? My dad's better than your dad. And I, we would ex- we'd just try to one-up one another. It makes perfect sense as a kid, right? Logical sense. I'm better than you because my dad's better than you, right? But what if I, as an adult, came to you and said, my dad could beat up your dad, right? <laughs> what if I said that? You'd say, what an idiot. What an idiot. It would expose my immaturity. And that's exactly what was happening. And you might say, well, that's so immature to form cliques, right? That doesn't happen in the church. That's so immature to be divisive, right, based on what we all kind of prefer, the bickering that we have. But that happens all the time. As a matter of fact, I've had the unfortunate uh, experience of witnessing many church splits. And it's always a result of this idea of disunity, this idea that you, we're not together, right? We're not unified in Christ. We all have our preferences. We all have things that we want to rally behind. And that's what he was saying is an immature lifestyle. It exposes our immaturity. I'm going to close with this. Uh, in chapter 1, verses 11 through 17, here we see uh, it in full, what Paul was trying to say in uh, chapter 3, okay? And here's what he says. Let's look at it. There are quarrels among you, and what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Still another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Verse 13, is Christ divided? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? Verse 14, I am thankful I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized into my name. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Don't misunderstand, Paul's not putting down baptism. It's a beautiful picture of salvation. It's what what God calls us to. It's the ring on our finger of marriage, right? We're in Christ, and it's that symbol, right, of our commitment to what we've done, of what's happened inwardly in our lives. It's a beautiful picture. So he's not cutting on baptism. Here Paul explains why he's saying this. So that no one can say, you were baptized into my name. You see, the Corinthians were so immature That not only did they divide and elevate using the apostles, they also wanted to brag about who baptized them, right? Hey, Aquila baptized you? Paul baptized me, dude, you know? There was this idea of one-upping each other. And here, I want you to see, here Paul is saying, listen, I'm not your babysitter. I want you to notice that baby believers need constant babysitting. Isn't that true? Babies are totally uh, uh, dependent. And left to themselves, they would die. They'd fall apart. They constantly need somebody to babysit them. And here what Paul is saying is grow up. God called me as an evangelist. He called me as an apostle. He called me to equip you. He called me to motivate you. He called me to to make sure that you're growing in that way. But he didn't call me to babysit you. He didn't call me to do that. And you've got to grow up. You've got to see This is hurting not only the church, but it's hurting your life as well. Bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. It's always easier to say, and praise team, if you want to come up, you can do that. But in the quietness of your own heart, I want to ask, are you a baby believer? 
It's painful sometimes to admit that. But are you right now in your life struggling with immaturity? Where God is telling you, you need to grow up. You need to get rid of those selfish impulses that you live by. You need to start digesting spiritual truth, disciplining and maturing yourselves to be more intimate with me and to my work. You need to stop the immature lifestyle that you're living. And you need to once again, once again move forward in your faith without bickering, complaining, arguing. Father, I pray that you'd be with these wonderful brothers and sisters that I have. And God, I think, I, I think that all of us, Lord, um, need to look into a mirror into our own lives because it's because you love us that you call us to this, that you rebuke us sometimes and you correct us. And I pray in doing so, Lord, that we would make this year this new year, the best year spiritually for us. That you would make our church, not like the Corinthian church, but that you'd make our church into the kind of church you want us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.